There is only one genre in fiction. That fiction is book. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, with co-host Jacob Shymansky. Yo. And Nisreen Abdelmajid, our technical producer. What's up, Niz? Hi. Hey. And we're, uh, the three of us, going to hold up the fort today. It's going to be fun. Is it hold up or hold down? I feel like it's hold down. Hold anyway, down. We're holding down the fort. We're holding up the show. We're going <laughs> to talk books. Uh, on today's episode, actually, we're going to break things down into two parts. First of all, we are talking about our obsession, that's right, with rigidly classifying books into separate genres. My goodness, does it really need to happen? Do we really have strong opinions on this? And is it necessary? I don't know. Maybe it's a bad habit that uh, us as a literary society, we need to start breaking. But there are a lot of issues that come with the theming and genrefying and sorting. We'll talk all about it in the first mm. half of the show. And we've been just jumping to get to this topic. But uh, later in the episode, we're also going to get to some answers from our question to the book club, which was, what are some books that left you with strong mm. mixed feelings? So a book that left you equally enthralled as it was frustrating. We've got some good responses for that one, too. So yeah. looking forward to that. Uh, and of course, in a sec, we will give you the Sela homepage and everything else that you know are staples of the show. So where do you want to start with genre classification, Jacob? This is a big one for you. Um, I'm still stepping it up in like even checkboxing through the list of genres and figuring out if I've ever read a book that classifies as a genre. So Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers in the U.S., in his biography, claimed that he invented the pros and cons list. That's total BS. That's like saying you invented reasoning. But I do want to employ pros a pros and cons list for this conversation because there are pros and cons to classifying everything into genres. Um, I, I just I think it's something that has become somewhat outdated. Would you agree? Yeah, and. For the most part, yes. Okay. Here's the first pro. We're going to start with the pros, okay? Because there are still quite a few. The main thing is that it provides a clear path for readers to get to things that they know they'll enjoy. That's like the main reason that we do it, right? If you like magic elements, you're going to read fantasy. Yeah. If you want to read memoirs and if you want to read about people's lives and stories, you read memoirs. If you want something that's mm. like very real, that's what you get into. It's it's pretty straightforward. But some of these genres have now become problematic even for this pro. We'll get into that, okay? Yeah, we'll get into that. The other one is publishers love genres for the marketing potential. Not just marketing, but targeting, right? Because they can get their authors to write things that will appeal to certain demographics and certain demographics that particularly read a specific type of genre. Mm -hmm. It's Target it's really, audience. yeah, it basically publishers need genres to be able to sell their books because imagine they just came out with a book. They had one of their authors write a book and they just said, here's a book. And people said, so what is it? And they're like, we're not going to put a label on it. You'll just have to read it. Nobody's going to read that. Mm. You need to know what it's about, right? Because you sure, you can read the synopsis. But I think the first thing that people check when they see a book is like the genre, right? Yeah, of course. And it just makes it easier, right? It's kind of like how we think of 
keywords now or tags in different scenarios uh, or just making algorithms work for all of this, there has to be some rhyme or reason for marketing. And just logistically speaking, it makes a lot of sense to sort things into genres for libraries and places where you physically store books. Because it couldn't just be mayhem where everything is just stored willy-nilly or even in alphabetical order. It That's basically nonsense. You need to Library, store things in yeah. a way that, that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And it cater to like educational purposes or whatever else. Um, the genre still makes a lot of sense in that way. I don't imagine how school could have gone and readings during school could have gone if things weren't even for pleasure reading just categorized into different genres or uh, like in English class how are we supposed to speak on or break down certain um, assignments literary assignments without the help of genres yeah it makes it easier for everybody Okay. Right. It's like you sit down to read something very casual, something that's a, a real page turner, but it turns out to be a, a tome that's just impossible to get through. Mm. Like there's a reason genres exist. Um, but I think one of the most compelling reasons why genres are great is communities form around them. Uh, forums on the internet, um, YouTube channels dedicated to fantasy or sci-fi. Like they just review all the sci-fi books, all the fantasy books. Um, authors of similar genres are usually going to team up together and workshop their stuff together. And it's community is really, really powerful. This part of it, um, it makes sense on big and small scales, right? Like when we're talking book clubs that are formed around genres um, or like recommendations and how easier, how much easier that is for genres. Like it goes back to the first point, which is catering to people's interests and desires of what to read but then the form of community around that is pretty obvious another con i want to get into is the rigidity of genres undermine the fluidity of storytelling there are always these tropes Hmm. that people expect in certain genres and it, it stops people from from experiencing books that they might otherwise not get to I think that this part is becoming less and less of a problem on one end of the spectrum because we're seeing a lot of fusing of genres. Like I rarely ever find anything that's just one genre anymore. It is genre A, B, and C. It's a combination, right? Yeah, it's a fusion. And they'll do like romantic comedy or romantic fantasy, dramedy. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. It's historical fiction. It's whatever. Like all of these different things that I think are not standalone genres of their own anymore. They're combinations of genres together, which I actually, when we get into it, I'll tell you, but I do find that to be somewhat frustrating. So with the fluidity, like I I guess it's perspective because it's with the fluidity of writing. Yeah. Makes sense not to pigeonhole yourself into a genre. Um, But then when you're looking for something specific, you're like, I don't know what this new genre is what does this combination of genre mean i'm getting into i want to expand on that remia this is a great Mm. point i just feel like when i go to any bookstore there are genres that make no sense to me that i didn't know was a genre um and i'm wondering why that is i feel like it just became a trend of whatever it may be so it's not only just like uh, a mix of 
two or three different genres all in one but it became like oh trending and that became a a genre i i promise tiktok (laughs) became a genre um instagram became a genre and when you go into indigo for example you'll see multiple multiple of uh different titles of genres that i'm like wait now now this is a genre now like (laughs) yeah yeah that's so fair because like technically we're not even talking genres anymore but these ways to categorize books have mm, become so prevalent like instagram tiktok being its own category of how to sort out books that they're up there with sorting books by genre and I think that's what's really happening here. Like the way that you would look for something that is a, you know, a a memoir is the same way you would look for something that's just But like, yeah, even if you categorize it and it's, you think it's a category, but when you search it up, you, they list it as a genre. And yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. When you, when you look at these things, you're, you're like, okay, um, but even oh, even now even, we're getting into the nitty gritty of what genre even means. Going back to Indigo, for example, like any bookstore, you look at the categories as genres. So like you look at fantasy, you look at comedy, you look at you know the regular genres that you're used to. Um, and then you'll see trending on TikTok, trending on this, and then you'll see um, uh, give me like a genre that makes no sense. <laughs> It is like it is really like a genre because we we treat it exactly like we would a genre, but our, our typical genres, fantasy, sci-fi, thrillers, suspense, mystery, those are all determined by what happens in the book. But the ones you just listed, Niz, TikTok and Instagram, those are um identified like by what choice. happens outside of that book. But it's still effectively a genre because that's we sort books into that category. Yeah, no. I got not a disagree. genre. No, it's not. It's a it's, it's a people's choice award. It's a you know like what's the latest social media trend? But when you go on TikTok, it's not that people are um like how generic is it just to be like I loved this book, you should read it. That's just a recommendation. <laughs> it's a social media recommendation. It's not. It, there's no categorization at no, all. No, I, I agree. When, I agree. I Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that defines a genre when when it's people's opinions. The word genre is just being tossed around like like the word literally now. Well, listen. Okay. If you get – take, for example, uh, trending on TikTok. All these TikTok users that are contributing to any given book that might be trending on that platform, they probably have a certain type of book that they enjoy. So wouldn't that mean that there'd be specific types of books that end up being on the trending on TikTok list? Because like TikTok has a certain demographic. TikTok books, uh, TikTok like book fans would uh, have certain opinions on books that would lean them to certain types of books, right? So there has to be a specific style that's uh, common between all these books that end up on the trending on TikTok list. That's fair, but that's also fluid. What trended on TikTok last year is not going to be trending on TikTok this year. Though the hashtag, uh, hashtag book talk stays the same, the kind of books and the style or like where we're going is changing legit. It becomes trended on TikTok. Yes, <laughs> that's the new genre. What's now trending? But when we say something is 
uh, fantasy or sci-fi or whatever. As you said, it's from the book itself. It's a guideline or an understanding or a definition of what you will find in this book. You know what that means. I don't know what it means if something is hashtag book talk. That's that's just, again, a fancy recommendation. Well, maybe because it's a bit new and it is a bit fluid, but all genres are somewhat fluid. Just because you pick up a sci-fi novel doesn't mean you know what you're going to get. Just because you pick up a romance novel doesn't mean you know what you're going to get. But you get the outline of it, if you will. The not formula, but what what is it really that you get? You get the essence of what it's supposed to be. You know what a memoir is. You know what you're signing up for. Or maybe I'm not even talking about what genre is anymore, but I'm talking about the intention of genre as a traditionalist, which Mm. I now realize I am. Well, you know what? (laughs) Maybe this would play a bit into your beef with YA novels. I've heard you make uh, hints at your your issues with that genre. Like, what's up with that? Mm. Okay, listen. What is YA as a genre? Okay, young adult is what YA stands for. And... Truly, if I may shout out, not in vain, our conversations uh, on Kelly and Rumia weekly on Fridays with Chatty Bookshelf contributor Ryan Huey. He often brings out YA novels. Um, A, I feel like I may be too old for what is now considered YA. I don't even know what it means, though. Like, is it just a target audience of writing style where, you know, anything from 16 to 30 35 years of age you're targeting this age group with the contents of this novel that's what i assume ya is aiming to do but that makes no sense to me as a genre it's not a genre at all again it's like these tiktok and instagram things as um nisreen pointed out where you're just creating a category hoping that it becomes an algorithm or a buzzword or a, a um hashtag a a tag of some sort like a keyword thing but you have no idea what it means like why it goes from anything to sci-fi to fantasy to superhero to uh, drama to comedy to some real some not like it is placed everywhere i'd say maybe the writing is a bit more juvenile Mm, yeah i'd agree with that i think that's a common tag for that genre for sure right because you know you're thinking like young people want to read this but it's like <laughs> a it's like a throw it out into the ether and hope it sticks situation i don't believe in ya as a as a an actual genre i don't know i don't think anybody knows what they're saying when they say ya they're just kind of hoping for a target audience but in practical terms i think people typically use it as a secondary genre tag it's going to be like fantasy ya suspense ya thriller so YA. it's and fantasy it's the- for 18 to 30 year olds yeah that's how i interpret it but i've also heard people say but how is that different from fantasy for 30 to 50 year olds for middle-aged people for the elderly (laughs) i I, i've seen a joke online people saying that it's just books that are not boring (laughs) oh okay because i think when you try to write when you try to write for quote-unquote adults authors kind of fall in a pitfall where they make things overly deep and contemplative and like trying to make it really important and say something so it's surface uh, level writing for the non-philosophical that's what ya is no um no it's more like it's more accessible it's just more accessible to everyone Mm -hmm. where books that are specifically written for quote mature audiences it's like they're trying too hard to be deep they're trying too hard to be (sighs) adult books. I call BS. Yeah. 
Yes. I, I, I kind of, yo, I kind of fall into that. I, I kind of agree with that because YA is just books that are accessible. It's like the Disney of books. Disney oh. makes awesome <laughs> movies. Yeah. Because it's yeah, for but... the whole family. It's accessible to everyone, but they're just as powerful as the books that are like for adults. Understand what you mean when you say like it's accessible for everyone. I just feel like it's also um, innocent, not too innocent type of category. Like does Fifty Shades fall under YA? No. No. What? No. You're talking about Absolutely young adults. Not. Young adults is like 13. Young adults is not children. Yeah, but like it's, it's in the teenager. Yeah, it's teens. Teenager category, right? Young adults sure. is in the teenage category. 15-year-olds are picking up YA. Again, this is too gray. Like, it's not something that I can completely understand to then therefore agree or disagree with because I think nobody knows what YA is. Okay, well, I think this speaks to the point that we're trying to make with the past, like, five minutes of conversation Uh is that (laughs) some genres are incredibly fluid and unclear. YA is absolutely one of them. Yeah, take them off the list of genres. Mm-hmm. Um, another con is preconceived notions and stereotypes. When you think of someone who reads fantasy, it's a it's a sniveling dork that likes swords. If you think of somebody who really likes romance, it's like middle aged women like reading in the bathtub while drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> like. It's obviously not that simple. And it's not just preconceived notions and stereotypes about the readers of any given genre. It's also expectations and stereotypes about mm. specific genres. Like YA, you think it's like written very in a very juvenile way. That's not true. So some people might be tempted to just completely avoid books with a YA tag because right. they think it's written in that juvenile I way. Do. And it's not true. It's not true. Yeah, and you're wrong for doing that. But I've been... Uh told or you know led to believe that this is what YA is and though I'm in the age group of being a young adult in my opinion I think that still it's you know the way that these books are presented like it's like I don't want to read this kind of writing it's there's this preconceived notion for good or for bad um when you think of these what did you call it secondary genre tags yeah or slash stereotypes because I think stereotypes is a perfect way of looking at it these are not real genres these are like the expectations or the floof we've put around the genres to then make that its own thing it's brutal can't keep up and there are stereotypes and preconceived notions for every single genre and i think it's a problem okay because genres are fluid genres are fluid and everything gets pigeonholed into our expectations uh, next con, cultural stifling. Um, this one's a bit vague, but I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fantasy guy. That's why I keep bringing up fantasy. But in fantasy, it seems like everything takes place in a world that's based on Western, like medieval Europe. And mm. It kind of excludes a whole lot of cultures. Eh? That's a oh, reader's that's so expect yeah. in fantasy. Another thing is in libraries, sometimes they will have a genre just called international. In other words, <laughs> everything else. It's like the grocery store aisle. <laughs> Yo, no, literally. It just like classifies the entire rest of the world that isn't that's Western into everything else. Like if that's not cultural stifling, Where I don't know Where am I going to go is. look for my cool running seasoning in the international aisle? Hopefully it's there. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, the it's true thing, though. Yeah, it's true. It's true. The last thing is uh, pigeonholed authors. Stephen King in horror. Lots of fantasy authors get stuck in this too. And it sucks for authors because yeah. they don't want to be forced to write these things, you know? Right. Or like maybe if something is like now we say dramedy, right? For the drama and comedy. But if it's more drama or more comedy, that author has to deal with, yeah, just overall being that kind of author. A, mm-hmm. a comedy author and doesn't necessarily you're almost like typecasting your authors that's such an interesting point though especially the one you made about fantasy world building and the lack of exploration because maybe authors feel like or maybe us as readers feel like we can only understand fantasy as this this world or this these elements these parts of europe huh now do you think that it Mm -hmm. is that intense for or can be that intense for all genres though like i'm thinking things that are non-fiction don't necessarily have to deal with the cultural stifling that's true that's true i don't really think it's an issue in memoirs and non-fiction because i mean like it or not non-fiction is fully based in the real world Mm -hmm. i mean unless they're lying but like if that's the case then it's a bad book but they're like firmly set in the real world and the real world is multicultural and that's representative in the books themselves. And it's to be representative or accurately representing is part of the weaving of the books, right? Like you can't just not. Um, how about things like historical fiction, though? Because then we get into this problem, as I stated last week. Yeah, you've made your thoughts known with historical fiction, which is a really popular a really popular genre that's another somewhat vague one because i sometimes i take it to be a genre where it's that's another one that's like a secondary genre tag mm-hmm. because it can be like romance set in a historical fiction setting so it's like any book that's set in like a date earlier than i don't know the 1900s because it still feels like the 1900s are contemporary enough at this point yeah that's true Right. Mm. Do you want to talk about some of these other subgenres and genres in <laughs> yeah. general? That gets specific? I'm gonna tell you, I have no idea what half of these are. More and more. So yeah. So Niz touched on this. There are so many genres that you did not know existed, and this is kind of fun. And honestly, this speaks to some of the power of sorting things into genres because it kind of opens your mind to what is out there and what you might find interesting. Mm. Um, so I have a list here of kind of niche genres. Most of these are subgenres, but I'm still going to get into them, right? Uh, the first one is didactic. A didactic novel is a book that's meant, it's a fiction book that's meant to teach you about something, very specifically about something. One of the most popular didactic books is Moby Dick. It teaches you about whaling more than anything, but it's a fiction book. It's just oh. in the process of enjoying the story, you learn about whaling. Uh, you can read books that are set in a fictional setting, but they teach you a whole lot about um, medieval political structures. Like it's explicitly made to teach you something. Could you see yourself reading something like that? Yes, but not on purpose. It's more like a reflection after where you're like, oh yeah, I I learned so much about this. The key thing is that it's explicitly made to teach you about something. Oh, then no. 
um, Animal Farm by George Orwell. It's also a popular didactic book. Uh, next one is Cli-Fi. Is it the farming? It... No, it has nothing to do with farm. It it's it teaches you about the dangers of uh, authoritarian regimes Politics. and how they come but, to be. Okay, see, I was thinking this was more of like a skill based thing, or mm, I guess it could that, well, just be strictly. like an understanding of just an understanding of. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense exactly. for animal yeah, farming. Exactly. All right. Next one is Cli-Fi. Cli stands for climate change, so oh. it's science fiction based on the uh, adverse effects of oh climate God. change far in the future. So if you want to have some existential dread regarding uh, the inevitable, inevitable destruction of our planet, then uh, this is the are genre for you. Are these real? Like, you got to be super These are real. Fans. These are established genres that have Wikipedia pages and lists of books Stop. that are associated with them. But the thing is, like, you got to be so into sci-fi to understand that this is a subcategory, right? A cli-fi, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And just uh, another popular way of sorting sci-fi books is by hard science and soft science mm. soft science meaning it's like borderline magical where it really doesn't even try to explain the science of how these spaceships move around and the, how the technology works hard science is based on real science with some stretches and use of imagination but it's mostly based on really strong science okay. um project hail mary is a, a really popular book that definitely falls into hard science Cyberpunk is kind of a well, it definitely is a sci fi genre, but it's based in a dystopian future with a ton of really cool technology. So it's the Isn't combination of okay. advanced technology, but a very dystopian urban setting. This is so interesting. I really, there's, there's something this, for everyone. Yeah, not just that, but I used to just say, like, sci fi, that's for you, sci fi lovers. And that was it. I had no idea it got so specific. Okay, so there's also the hardcore um, versions of mystery and fantasy, respectively. Okay. In mystery, you would call that hard-boiled, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> <laughs> meaning uh, a mystery where it doesn't shy away from graphic violence and explicit sex and lots of swearing and rugged characters. Oh, okay. Very dark themes. Would uh, not hard boiled. hard-boiled to explain that. All right. Yeah. Hard-boiled because um, the main characters tend to eat hard-boiled eggs Stop. because that's the most uh, manly thing to eat. It's the most what? manly way to prepare an egg. <laughs> very rugged. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because picture it. Picture it like this. <laughs> they need the protein. A, a very, very rugged man would <laughs> see food as just being fuel. And if there's any food that's just fuel, it's an unsalted hard-boiled egg. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a on his characteristic. Even if he's not seen caught eating hard boiled eggs, like he's just a hard boiled egg guy. Okay, he's just a hard boiled egg kind of guy. It says <laughs> okay. a lot, you know. <laughs> and now the whole book is hard boiled. <laughs> the whole genre. And in fantasy, uh, that equivalent is uh, grimdark. So I like to say that it's fantasy about terrible people doing terrible things to other terrible people for terrible reasons. Nice. Yeah. It's the emo of mystery. Okay, I like it. Yeah, it's very fantasy. emo, but it, yeah. it's often these books always have lots of character deaths and torture and really terrible characters. Mm. Sounds like um, my type of mystery. <laughs> or of a, what do we say this is again? Fantasy. Fantasy, yeah. Okay. All right, Ladlit and Chicklit. So, <laughs> Ladlit is yeah, can about we guess? young Male men. Mm -hmm. It's usually pretty irreverent. Um, but one of the key things, it's meant to be very relatable. So their lives are pretty mundane. Okay. 
um, but it's just them doing observations in their very mundane lives. But keyword here is mundane, and chiclet is the same. Uh, it's the female equivalent of that one. Yeah. Ladlet and chiclet. It's always it's young adults. Very... It's kind of like a coming-of-age book, but it's very relatable, and there's nothing like fantastical about it or anything. It's just mundane and relatable. And this is... Uh... Just any kind of non or any kind of fiction? Yeah, any kind of fiction. This does seem like another secondary genre tag, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can see this going right next to YA. Confuse the hell out of everybody. Just like the most generic book ever. Okay. um, Romance has a million subgenres. Chivalric romance, that's a romance set in like medieval Europe with knights going on quests for their damsels. (laughs) If if you're into that. (laughs) I, I didn't mean to laugh if you like a chivalric romance. No judgment here. And wait, um, this is... A, does it have to be fantasy? I guess? Because it feels no. like you would only... It's like historical fiction, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> if you're not more confused at the end of this discussion, I can't imagine. Okay. All right. Medical romance. That's a ro- <laughs> romance set in a hospital. Yeah, like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, exactly. It's established. There's tons of books like this. Okay. Um, misery lit. That's like trauma porn, where it's literally it, the funny me? thing is this is nonfiction. This is nonfiction. Okay. It's literally like memoirs of people talking about how miserable their lives are and just oh, how horrible things have gone in their lives. It sounds insulting. Yeah. Misery lit. This we're, we're just reducing this person's story to a sob story. Like, okay, here's another pity party memoir yeah i don't know if the authors want to be classified as misery no because now i'm thinking like we talked about britney spears's memoir i feel that's like, kind of misery oh lit my too. gosh sorry britney <laughs> Oof. okay I'm last one i want to get britney. to is lit rpg this one is surprisingly popular this is um it's kind of like a fantasy sci-fi genre where the world is kind of set with video game rules so it's like a book set in a video game world where characters have levels and perks and items and what? they level up and go on quests and stuff. So it's a readable video game. It's a readable video game. And, you know, this is kind of fun. Since since I went blind, mm. um, very few video games are accessible to me now. But reading um, Dungeon Crawler Carl has been was kind of a throwback for me. It was really fun to actually play a video game that way. I say play a video game because that's what it feels like when you read these books. That's amazing. But you're not choosing things. You don't. You don't choose you don't anything. Act. Yeah. Hmm. I would think that that's like only the boring parts of a video game. But it's. I guess it's. And, and I would think like, isn't that like story mode, which is just a story? But no, you're saying there's more video game in that, like leveling up. Well, the story mode of the video game still involves a whole lot of game e aspects, right? Yeah. True. So, like, for example, in Dungeon Crawler Carl, like, the first act is about, like, him getting through level one and picking up items. And then, like, he meets friends along the way and gets perks and tries to figure out, like, the rules of the game and stuff like that. Like, it's it's really a video game set in a book. Yeah. But I'm so curious about how that would actually sound or, you know, portray itself. Well, speaking of how it sounds, the audiobook for Dungeon Crawler Carl is amazingly produced like mm. one of the best recorded audiobooks i've ever heard uh, lots of sounds and music yeah lots okay. of sounds uh, not too much music but just in sound effects yeah. uh, it's so well done very tastefully done okay um Sick. something else i wanted to get into was 
I like the way Goodreads, the website for tracking your your read library and what you want to read, mm-hmm. the way it handles genres and tags, I feel it could be a model for how we assign genres in the future because it's not done by the publishers it's done by the readers after they read so the way it works is after you read a book so you read book x you can go give it a rating and then add it to your shelves you can have a shelf that's for example a fantasy romance a mystery whatever you want it to be and yeah. you you get to choose and you can put it in multiple genres as well it's like a review lots of people yeah exactly exactly if lots of people do that, what ends up happening is under any given book, you're going to see like, here are the shelves that people have most sorted this book into. Mm. And that'll give you a really good idea of what this genre is all about. But the best thing about that is it kind of democratizes yes, genre does. identification. And it's more than just one rigid genre tag. Exactly. Sometimes you can have like five or six or seven. It gives you a really good idea. Yeah, obviously it's more than just genre also, right? Like there, there are a lot of tags that are not necessarily genre but still it helps with this genre part of it because you're not necessarily reviewing and rating or picking up based on some uh algorithm based or you know predetermined category and then you get to do the same like so even if you pick something off the most um categorized as blank shelf you can read it and then decide if that's where you would put this or put it somewhere else. I do like Goodreads in this in this sense. The only problem is I don't think it's really like um, it hasn't really taken off on Goodreads. Like not everybody adds stuff to shelves. Like you need a whole bunch of mm. keeners to make it official. Like um, yeah. if you go to like really popular books, like the top tag will only have been assigned that tag by like five or six thousand readers and you kind of need more to make that like really official right well maybe after understanding the full-fledged conversation around genre aka listening to this podcast um they will do better (laughs) 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 and helping us along because i swear i'm more confused than ever before right like like, what are we supposed to make of all of this conversation exactly Genres are useful, but they're also really not useful. Yeah. I don't know what to make they're of helpful, it. They're helpful, but they're not. Yeah. So Your I've been pondering is... about this topic for weeks. Mm. And what I've really settled on is that there's no better way to sort books. It's yeah, But also, we're not just sorting a genre. Like, the thing is, half the genres we talked about, granted, yes, half the genres we did talk about, I would say these are cool, like, realistic. But other things we talked about, I'm like, these aren't even genres. Like, get this out of here. Like YA and TikTok books. Exactly. Those are just trends. Okay. It is silly. Target audiences. <laughs> oh, but oh, I wanted to say this. It is helpful, even though I don't categorize these things as genres, it is helpful to find representation. Okay? Like representation is huge. We talked about accessibility already, but especially when we're talking about like including communities in our mm, awareness you know, indigenous reads, LGBTQ plus reads, yeah. disability Very important, yeah. stories. Yeah. When we're talking about inclusion in these ways, though they're not genres, if we use these tags, LGBTQ plus fiction, um, indigenous fiction, indigenous history, whatever, we're just becoming more aware, right? Like it's just more ways to understand the contents of a book and the representation of communities. Um, so in that case, I will support. 
And that's a popular tag that you see on Goodreads is uh, LGBTQ yeah. and uh, POC. Yeah. Exactly. And disability representation. You see a lot of those tags. Before we go to break and get into uh, part two of the episode, a whole different conversation surrounding our book club question, let me give you the three books that are up there uh, at the Center for Equitable Library Access. So if you go to celalibrary.ca, here are the three featured titles. The Armor of Light. This is King Kingsbridge number four, uh, the number fourth book, and it's by Ken Thollett. This is a historical fiction. Oh, one of my favorite genres. Also, there's... We're going to be very critical of the genres in this <laughs> list. The second one is Starling House by Alex Zahero. And this is romantic suspense. Wow, we didn't even Ooh. touch on that genre. <laughs> and the third one up there is The Running Grave by Robert Calgrave. And this is Gentle Mysteries. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay. <laughs> so I looked this up. A gentle mystery is otherwise known as a cozy mystery. And that's a oh, we mystery. about this. Yeah, it's a mystery set in a very... Uh, intimate setting like small communities and yeah yeah, and it's typically not violent or extremely uh i don't know criminal in nature Mm. sometimes it's just like i don't know stolen artwork or like who put too much salt in the soup like it's it's just like very very um kid friendly kid friendly mystery it's not gone girl and if you add the murder then then what does it become slightly less gentle mystery jeez after the break, <laughs> yeah. after the break, we're going to get to our book club question, which is what are some books that left you with strong mixed feelings? Something that left you equally enthralled and frustrated. We'll be right back. You're listening to AMI Audio. Welcome back. Part two of AMI Audiobook Review. We just wrapped up conversations around genres and categories of books. Uh, but now we're going to move on to a book club question. Jacob, you posed this to Amr's Evening Book Club and Stragglers and everybody else we could find in our uh, own <laughs> communities of readers and audiobook listeners. What was the question? What are some books that left you with strong, mixed feelings? In other words, a book that had you equally enthralled as it was frustrating. Mm. I think one of the key things with books like this is it feels like it was untapped potential. Like there was one specific thing about it that just that just brought it down where if that wasn't a problem, the book itself would have been amazing. A 10 out of 10, a masterpiece. So that's why these Whoa. books are so frustrating because they're so close to being amazing. You know what I hear when you say that? I hear like, I could have made this book better <laughs> I had some leeway to Don't write the rest all of it. Don't we all do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all the best editors in the world. The types of books that makes me frustrated is when there's unanswered questions at the end and you're like, okay. Mm, like yeah, unresolved. Yeah. Unresolved. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It, but sometimes like it, you have to weigh it out, right? Like you have to legit put it on a scale and say okay but was the rest of the book so good but this one thing pissed me off so much that i'm struggling like i'm left to think i don't know if i loved or hated this book yeah sometimes it's more than just a nitpick sometimes it really is a a giant weight that's, yes. that's bringing the entire book down it's not okay, just an one tiny little nagging thing um let's Are get you- to uh i'll start with my first answer and that's the wheel of time series by robert jordan which i've talked about a couple times in the show mm-hmm. already but 
great characters, great plot, great world. The characters have a tendency to be super emotional in a way that's really frustrating. Like when they're sad, they are just inconsolable and giant babies. When they're angry, they just have fits of rage. It's super frustrating that they can't just be adults and manage their emotions in a way that's healthy. I swear to God, it drove me crazy throughout <laughs> the book. And it's every character, too. Like, there's like one character whose main character trait is that he's stoic. And I like him because of that, because he's the only one that's like a, a well adjusted adult. Everyone else, even the adults, just act like children and they just like lose their crap all the time. <laughs> You just wanted somebody to ground this book, huh? Yes. No, seriously. It's like all the characters, man. They're so petty. Who's going to come in? <laughs> Who's going to fix this cast? Yeah. They're just like, I'm not helping you because you did that to me three years ago. Oh. Ugh. Are you it's serious? It's high school stuff. Yeah. But it's this high is such stuff. a big series. I think partly part of the reason why it's so long, it's because the characters are just not they willing to work together. together. <laughs> they can't get it together. <laughs> But it's That's funny because the characters are really well realized in that way. Like they're very believable. Um, their their motivations are understandable, and okay. and I appreciate that. It's just too much, so. So you're willing to be too patient much. with them to a degree. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Well said. Hmm. You're the only. What about adult. you, Rams? Okay. <laughs> the, this novel we read for uh, the K and R book club. Uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. It's called Hench. And it was by, it is by Natalie Zina Walchuk. Honestly, okay. First of all, this was, a, what do they call it? An anti-superhero, like an anti-hero novel, right? Where the villains are the ones taking over. The superheroes are painted in the devastating light that they are. And um, it was an interesting read. I felt like the characters were interesting, the writing itself was quite clever. Uh, the main character just, you know, kept you laughing, kept you engaged. The pacing was good. There was so mm -hmm. much movement and action through the book. Right. All of these on paper, brilliant. But at the end of the day, this was my first time picking up a novel like this in this, quote, genre. And I wasn't convinced that I could pick up another one. I think I put in so much expectation into this book being A, a recommendation from a friend, and B, the first time me dipping my toes into this genre and thinking, okay, if at the end of this book I don't feel like I can pick up another, like I've been opened up to this new world, then it's going to fall flat. And whatever it was about this book just fell just flat of me wanting to pick up something else. I was like... Huh. trying to compare it to things that I've already read, you know, superhero novels or superhero TV shows and series for that matter, and think, like, why didn't it feel like it could get me interested again? Or why didn't I, why wasn't I able to close this book thinking, okay, that's awesome. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this. I don't know, it just, it felt just flat. So it's not this overwhelming feeling of, like, Oh God, I was so frustrated by the end of this book. It was just that meh, you know, like it was good, but not great, but it still feels like mixed feelings because I had so many expectations of what it could be, especially while reading the book. Like, oh, this is about to get better. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the mixed feelings came from your expectations going into it more than yeah. anything. Yeah. 
It just felt lackluster compared to what I thought it would be. And as I said, parts, elements felt like really good theoretically, you know, theoretically. Uh, but not great as just poorly directed. executed. Yeah. Was it gimmicky? I wouldn't say so. No. Okay, so that wasn't the issue. No. It was just your recommendations. It was just, yeah, exactly. And right. people, uh, like, it's interesting to explore this question of mixed feelings and what that means for different people um, because we've had some good answers from the book club. Yeah, I think to clarify what mixed feelings means, like, it's okay to read a book and just think, meh, five out of ten. Yeah. Right? Like, and it's not that complicated. But sometimes you have books that's hard to rate. They're really, really hard to rate. And I think that's what this category falls exactly. into. Yeah. We have an answer from uh, Remy from London, Ontario, that I think is pretty uh, kind of points to this. The Harry Potter series is like this for me. No. After I watched a couple of videos on YouTube that point out all the plot holes and character inconsistencies, <gasps> I find it hard to take the series seriously anymore. Stop all it. All the continuity errors ruin the immersion for me. <sighs> I still love the series, but I don't think I can ever truly enjoy it the way I used to. Okay. That's why you don't watch the YouTube videos, Remy. Come on. <laughs> this this is nostalgia. This is nostalgia keeping your love of this book yes, alive. Yes, it's true. Because do people pick up Harry Potter in 2023 and really enjoy it? Obviously, the way, yes, the way we, we do. Used to? Sometimes we have to skip through some chapters and certain book can't get picked up the same way. But yes, Jacob. That's a bias answer. <laughs> so why Very would you? Bias. You should have told me to mute my microphone. <laughs> I should have muted it. <laughs> for you <laughs> but no but remy no i i feel you though because it's true it's nostalgia as you said jacob keeping our love alive um also there's just too much chaos coloring the books now there's too much accessibility to people's mean thoughts about harry potter and pointing out plot holes and also if i could just say the the author herself right is facing a lot of critique and uh yeah, just dissonance mm -hmm. from Harry Potter lovers and the community. And so you, you, you're almost teetering on like whether or not Harry Potter itself should be canceled. I'm going to not so subtly shoo this conversation along because uh, we're going to be talking about this in a future episode. This is a, a response from Sharon. Sharon uh, Johnston was giving us her response on mixed feelings. And she said, to answer your question, I have to say the book that had me very intrigued but regularly had me frustrated was Demon Copperhead. This was a recent recommendation for the uh, Evening Book Club, by the way. I just finished reading this book. I loved it, but... It both had me intrigued and throughout the book had me very frustrated seeing the young boy turning into a man, having all these opportunities, but also being let down by close friends, family, and even the system. It was just so frustrating that when you thought that things were looking up for him, something else would let him down. For me, this book was well written in that way. Uh, but as she said, she was frustrated throughout. Do you think that this is an interesting way of um, mixed feelings it it's frustrating to the character as well so naturally it's going to be frustrating for the reader hmm. but that's frustrating nonetheless if nothing good happens to your character we're just falling into the misery lit part of this oh, <laughs> that's what it must feel like it's just depressing and you're like what is there good in this book it's i'm just watching someone's life fall apart and not everybody wants to read that Yo, that's such a good point. So, okay, now Misery Lit, except that was for nonfiction, right? 
Anyways, yeah, that's right. doesn't matter. But it, this kind of thing is making sense to me because Girls Burn Brighter, and I cannot remember the author's name, but that book was just, yeah, she's just getting beat while she's down, this main character. And she's traveling all across the country, then around the world, trying to get out of her situations. And you keep building up hope that she's going to get better and better and better and never. Like, it just gets worse and worse for her from, yeah. you know, limbs being torn to all kinds of other emotional and physical abuse to, Jeez. oh, my God, just falling down the ladder uh, of, of social acceptance. It was unreal to me. And honestly, there were actually several people in the book club who put it down halfway oh. through or because they just were like, is this does this actually get better? I don't think it's getting better. It was better. too heavy. Yeah, it was too heavy, right? too heavy. And it wasn't bad. Mm. It wasn't bad because of writing. Yeah. It was just bad because of the content. It's it's too heavy. It's, it's too much to read. It's too triggering. It's too yeah, exactly. All right. Here's an answer from Amir Khan. The Ninja by what's his name? Oh my god. Eric Van Lusvader. That's a cool name. Mm-hmm. The author is amazing at suspense and plot direction, but has this habit of just cheapening out with strange things at climactic moments. I read two of his books and couldn't get enough. In the first book, there's a massive buildup between the good guy and the bad guy. And the epic fight that is set and starts to happen. Then an earthquake kills the bad guy and dies. (laughs) (laughs) In the second book, one of the main characters is a billionaire tycoon and is in a big time negotiation with a Japanese firm. Nearly a third of the way in, the guy dies. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, some people just die in the middle? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds anticlimactic. <laughs> what are, what's even being pulled now? Who do we vote for? <laughs> Everyone's dead. Oh my god, Albert, <laughs> you're gonna have to elaborate on that. Yeah, what? <laughs> we'll talk next time. Okay. And then his last line was like leaving the reader wondering what on earth is going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, why would I read on if just ridiculous things happen? ridiculous unlikely things and then an earthquake happens and he dies you know what the funny thing is i was getting lots of fun texts from amir as he was reading this ninja series and i kept asking him why do you keep reading this book because he had nothing good to say it was like so he was so frustrated by how bad it was that you would think okay then just put it down and then he astonishingly finished the first book and started the second one because as he said he read two of these books and I was like there's no way dude but yeah it I guess you can never really put your finger on it listen if you if you picked up the second book the first one did something right there's so many books you could be reading if you're reading the second of a series the first one was clearly good enough for you to good enough or good enough or some feelings were so strong that you cannot put them down Sounds like a toxic yeah, and you said it. Sometimes you can't. <laughs> sometimes you can't quite put your finger on it. I know. Okay, so mine was uh, "Hello Beautiful" by Anne Napolitano. <sighs> this book had a lot of great lessons in it, so I enjoy reading stuff that's you know philosophical, cerebral, like things that make me think, right? And I I really do highly respect books that can. Um, authentically organically do that for me and this book had a lot of that basically it's this family um you know there's the three sisters I think there's three maybe more three sisters who all bond with each other who go through very frustrating and triggering and just like catastrophic catastrophic um 
challenges in their life and we follow them through it. And then through that, you get to see how their partners interact with each other, with the other sisters. And so there's a lot of like family dynamic stuff. And I respected Mm. the way that this author brought about so many deep conversations through this book. But the writing was so mediocre. Okay, like (laughs) unbelievable. That's a simple breakdown, yeah. It is, it is. Yeah, and it was, it's so mediocre that I was like, oh, God. I wonder, I wonder if this author is actually going to get better at writing. Like, I wonder if she realizes her potential (laughs) as she writes this book. And I was really hoping it would get better because I'm such a, you know, nitpicker for for writing style, right? Like, Mm. that's why I would sit through something like Addie LaRue and absolutely love it, even though there's zero plot and um, still enjoy it because the writing was so beautiful. But this, it was the complete opposite, Jacob. Like, I pushed myself through this book because there was so much to learn. But I was like, maybe I should have picked up an article because the writing was so bad. Just a lack of execution, eh? Yeah, as usual. I think my mixed feelings are very easy to break down, unlike some of the stuff like The Ninja with Amir Khan. What's your last book? Moby Dick by Herman Melville. This is, yeah, mixed feelings because I brought it up in the first segment. Moby Mm -hmm. Dick is a didactic novel that's supposed to teach you about whaling. Um, that would be great if the facts that they were telling you about whales were actually accurate because uh, Herman Melville was just talking out of his ass because he, he said a <laughs> bunch of things that were just not true about whales. He said that whales had ears that were like small as a pinprick. No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he said You're not supposed whales... to even take the facts about the subject that we're supposed to be learning about? Yeah, he just did not well, get them right. It's because he Herman Melville actually worked on a whaling ship. So I guess he learned a couple of things or two, but clearly didn't understand the actual anatomy of whales. Uh, Yeah. And he talked about how the way they find whales in these vast oceans is because they travel in like very obvious migratory patterns. Like they always go through these very specific paths, like highways, except that's not true for all whales. Some whales are really, really unpredictable. It's only a couple species that do that. So that's another, but there's so many things like that. It's just full of, non-truths about whales and it's disappointing for what's supposed to be a didactic novel but it's also really well written and i mean it's a classic for a reason yeah and sometimes it doesn't the mixed feeling come with the fact that it's a classic or a very well-known novel this has happened to me i'm like i love this book but i don't know it feels a little problematic yeah yeah (laughs) okay i want to get into an answer from my brother andre strongest mixed feelings from a book has to be Lolita by Vladimir Nabokovs. I wouldn't... So I'll say it again. Strongest fi- strongest mixed feelings from a book has to be Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. I would normally avoid a book that tells the story of a pedophile, but I picked it up based on reputation and then couldn't put it down. Focusing on obsession, manipulation, and abusive relationships as central themes. It's so beautifully written that I found myself setting aside my outrage over the narrator's conduct Ooh. so that I could give him a chance to tell his side of the story. Get out. Okay. This is like a garbage human being character that's so despicable that makes it unreadable. I've come across these types of characters before, right? It's almost a deal breaker. It doesn't matter how well written it is. Sometimes the character is such a garbage human being that it it overshadows everything in the book. Uh Audrey, I, I want to read that book because that sounds like a challenging read. It sounds like a challenging. It, it takes me back to reading about uh, or reading um, Success by Martin Amis. 
Oh like, yeah. I struggled yeah, the hell through that book. But at the end of it, I was like, okay. Yeah, I kind of get it though. <laughs> yeah. Just thankfully these are not real people. Oh yeah. Oof. True. Okay. Well, let's wrap up because we're out of time, but we will be back next week. And next episode, we're we're bringing on Red Sail. Finally. It's been like years, Red, but thanks for finally joining us. We're going to talk about uh, the insights and lives of professional authors like himself. And also, Amir Khan is going to be back. So we'll ask him all about his mixed feelings, amongst other things that he'll talk about. Let's wrap up because we're out of time, but we will be back next week. And next episode, we're, we're bringing on Red Sail. Finally! It's been like years, Red, but thanks for finally joining us. We're going to talk about uh, the insights and lives of professional authors like himself and also Amir Khan is going to be back so we'll ask him all about his mixed feelings amongst other things that he'll talk about and we also want to pose the next question to the book club for you guys so we can get as many submissions as possible the next one is what is your process for making a great personalized book recommendation and what is it that makes you take a recommendation seriously I'm calling this question the art of the book recommendation nice Yep, you can send us your feedback. Lots of different ways to do that. Um, if you want to contribute, call us, 1-866-509-4545. You can also email us at feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca. <laughs> That's it for us. Jacob Chomansky, Ramia Abudin, and Nisreen Abdel-Majid. We will be back for the next episode of AMI Audiobook Review. And until then, happy audiobook listening. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.